The Biscuit is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. The race side of it was sitting in traffic and saying, gosh, I'm going to get out and run right now. I, I could be, I could walk faster than what I'm doing on 74, 77, wherever I'm at in the country, traffic sucks. Um, and I think that was the, the click for this race or this brand of ours, if you will. But yeah, around the crown, I, I think it's, we, we have a passion for running both of us. Um, and uh, we have a passion, probably a larger passion for Charlotte in general. Biscuit listeners, and welcome to another freshly baked edition of the Biscuit Podcast, celebrating Charlotte's creativity every week. I'm your host, Andy Go. On Sunday, 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 September 1st, the Around the Crown 10K will shut down the inner loop of I-277 to run the most ambitious road race in this city's history. The race is the brainchild of Brian and Chelsea Mister, both avid runners. In the first segment of today's podcast, I'll talk to Brian and Chelsea about what moment led to the idea of running a race on 277, the logistical and safety hurdles they had to clear, and whether or not they would have done the race at all if it couldn't be on 277. Stick around through the end of the show as we have another mogul moment from Nikki Eason, and we wrap the show with head biscuit maker Matt Olin, interviewing Charlotte's creative social media guy, Porter Metzler. Let's take a listen. all the time that I've known you, anything that you've been associated with, uh, I've, I've come to expect a very high level of quality, high standards. And that, of course, includes your time at Noda Brewing Company. That includes your time at the Whitewater Center. And all that leads me to my first question, which is if you're, if you're working a great job that you really enjoy and doing the things that you love to do, what makes you want to give all that up? And jump to, off a cliff to organize a 10k. <laughs> um, that passion to to want to do something for your city with with only your name on it, with only your brand on it. There is absolutely nothing wrong with the things that I have done in the past, and they have only brought me to to where we are today. But when when it's all you and, and whether that's a, a positive thing or a negative thing, when it's, when it's your name on the line and your, your brand on the line, it, it, um, it pushes you a little bit further. Um, and, and I think this is something that my wife and I have talked about for, and we've talked about this, this concept, be it, I mean, gosh, be it around the crown 10 K or Chelsea has talked about like having a stationary business or a sandwich business or a little bar whatever it is that we, we've always had the idea that we want to do something with our name on it and have our own signature sandwich, cocktail, whatever it might be. So, I mean, hopefully in five or 10 years, we can look back on this and say like, oh man, we've done all of these things because we're just, I think we're both entrepreneurs at heart and we're slowly finding that out right now as we start at a sprint. <laughs> um, so I, I think it's, I think it's that, if that answered the question. So it doesn't sound like there was one moment where you sat down and said, all right, we're doing this. Sounds like it was. It um, came through. A, a, I think a, this race. I think this race in particular, there was a, but, um, 
the small business entrepreneur, that side of it, like my, my father had a small business growing up. We had a family business. I, I think it's always kind of been in there. The, the race side of it was sitting in traffic and saying, gosh, I'm going to get out and run right now. I, I could be, I could walk faster than what I'm doing on 74, 77, wherever I'm at in the country, traffic sucks. Hmm. Um, and I, I think that was the, the click for this race or this brand of ours, if you will. Um, who knows what, the, the next thing might be and whatnot. But yeah, around the crown, I, I think it's, we, we have a passion for running both of us. Um, and, uh, we have a passion, probably a larger passion for Charlotte in general. And we wanted to do something great for Charlotte and something, uh, deserving of the people here in Charlotte and looking around the country, um, recognizing that other cities and other regions have events like this, be it a, be it a running race or a cycling race or whatever it is, a large event that gets people active, Charlotte didn't fully have that. And, and we felt that it was needed and, uh, we took action. So Chelsea, tell me about the past couple of, I guess, months, years, whatever, however long this idea has been germinating. Tell me about how you, how Brian approached you with the idea and what you thought about it as it developed. Um, yeah, I mean, like Ryan said, it's been it's kind of been years in the making for this particular race and concept. Um, and really, the moment that he said it, he even like said around the crown as the the naming of this race from the beginning. And kind of that name paired with the idea, I was like, Brian, you have to do this. And at one point, I think we even kind of got in an argument because he was like, I don't care if someone else does it. I just want this to happen. And I was like, Brian, you have to be the one to do this. Like, this is your brainchild. This could be, you know, this huge, impactful event for the city. Um, and now to see it, I mean, four years later, actually coming to fruition and being, you know, three and a half weeks away from the race. Uh, like I'm, I'm so supportive. It's, it definitely took us, you know, a few conversations to get to that point as far as yes, Brian, like this needs to be your full-time job. Cause for a while there, we, we did even kind of talk like, yeah, this is like a fun side project that, um, that we can take on. Um, and it definitely, the scale of it, um, was larger than we expected, larger than we expected for sure. <laughs> and then it, it did kind of come to that point where so supportive and it's going really well, but we did have to you know, take that leap and say, yes, this is your full time, you know, commitment because the impact that it can have on the city, like it needs your full attention. The idea for running on 277, that is obviously super unique, uh, a very cool draw to the event. And there's a story behind it. What, what, what was that story? Yeah, I mean, really, we, we hit on it a little bit earlier just on being stuck on traffic. But that specific time was on 277. We were coming home from a concert at the music factory. I don't think we remember doing. No, I, my guess would be like OAR or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. we, I feel like there was a couple years we saw them like just year after year, every time they came in like them and maybe like Ben folds or something. Um, we we're coming home from that and we used to live off a of Commonwealth down in Plaza Midwood. And so we had to take 277 to 74 and we were used to that traffic during the day. Like 74 was just, it was backed up. It's just what you knew. Nothing like in LA or anything, but here in Charlotte, it was backed up. Um, but it was, it was like 10 o'clock on a Thursday or something, and it was backed up. And we were like, what the heck? Like, this is crazy. Just sitting. Just, yep. just sitting there. And um, I think I'd mentioned it, like, let's, let's get out. 
let's just let's just do it. And I think it may have been maybe the idea. It was I could run home faster. Yeah, and it almost became a bet. Um, and it wasn't because I'm a fast runner or anything. It was, it was just like, I, I know the city pretty well. I can probably take some back streets here and, and figure it out. But I think it was also potentially right around when, um, that massive snowstorm hit Atlanta and their highway turned into a parking lot and people actually walked home. I think I remember we were talking about Peter Stewart and, um, and Kate and like he had to leave his car or something and, and he had to run. He, I think he like walked eight miles home like, yeah. with the typical like bread and milk. He was making those milk sandwiches kind of thing. Uh, um, and, I, and maybe that's what was in my head a little bit too now that I'm like really thinking back. But yeah, that was that was the kind of the whole concept at 277. It's it's um, yeah, sure. It's a major artery. It's it's our inner beltway. But at the same time, it's it's still pretty small, like as from a length standpoint, from a how many cars are actually on it compared to other highways? Like, it, yes, it, it is massive. Don't get me wrong. It's connecting to some major hospitals and it's, it's getting you downtown. But on a Sunday morning on Labor Day weekend, it's, it's not that wild to, to, to shut that down. I, I say that and I'm kind of laughing at myself a little bit. Like that's pretty wild, but, um, <laughs> well, and I think that's what it was too for the longest time. Like, cause it was one of those things we're sitting in the car and he's like, yeah, I could run fa- home faster than this. And so we kind of joked about it. Like, ha ha ha. Like, like what if like what if we did shut down I two seventy seven and then we just kind of laughed about it but then it was it was kind of like that moment where it's like well what if we shut down I two seventy seven there kept being a lot of what ifs mm-hmm. and then I think we finally it may have been a year of us having what ifs that we took it to Scott Curry um, who is like a head of transportation at CDOT and our Department of Transportation and um, he had helped start Open Street seven hundred four. And uh, kind of had the whole idea of like, what if the streets weren't used for cars and we closed them to open them? Um, and that was the concept. And we were like, geez, this is the same idea. It's on a, it's on a different scale. Um, but what if we could work together on that? And I think that's when so our main beneficiary is Partners for Parks, who is also supported by Open Streets. I think that's how they got in, or that is how they got into the picture. And, and really, Scott Curry became the first person we kind of told, except for our roommates when we were joking around with a couple of beers where it was like, what if we did try to do this? Like, what is the, what is the order of people we need to talk to in the government to start having, let's call them closed door conversations before really submitting a permit and things like that. So Chelsea, you are in charge of the marketing, the branding, uh, the design for around the crown 10 K. What job did you have to quit in order to do this full time? (laughs) Um, I don't think it was quitting a job. It was just taking on another job. Um, so I am still working full time as a designer at Red Ventures, um, full time mom of two under two now, <laughs> <laughs> and then also now creative director for Around the Crown. So it's it's fun, but it's. Are you sure you have time to be here on this podcast? <laughs> yeah, I got I got to go. <laughs> <laughs> now let's talk about the race, Brian. Tell me what makes a great road race. <laughs> And how is Around the Crown going to replicate that? Yeah, uh, um, that's a. It seems like such a simple question, but that is a great question because we've we've talked about that. I can imagine there's just infinite numbers of levels and details to which you could go to answer that question. But when you know, just the first couple of things that you think yeah. are just oh, yeah, so yeah. important, I mean, like yeah, it's it's crazy that we have talked about that because we've 
we we did you know i don't i don't know what you want to call it sample testing or whatever you will like you ask someone on social media or a friend like oh what do you remember about that race what was so cool about that and you'd hear some people say the course and you'd hear some people say the metal you'd hear some people say the expo the band whatever it was so i think at one point pretty early on we we're like we have to do everything great it has to be because there's no one answer that when you ask that question so we we have to execute everything at 120 percent and we're probably not gonna be able to do that in year one, but man, we're gonna try. We're gonna try really hard. So I, I think the big things are are a course, um, like a, a beautiful course. Um, if that's going through the rolling hills of Kentucky, or if that's seeing a cool neighborhood mural art display, whatever it is. Um, I think course is a big thing. Um, and it sounds like you got that covered. <laughs> I think even beyond um, even beyond the views on the highway that people are gonna get a new perspective of their city from. I think Charlotte's downtown is is gorgeous uh the 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 fact that we still have trees downtown is amazing it's um our our um our our treescape is is gorgeous here in, in the queen city um i think uh and I'm, I'm i'm gritting my teeth here a little bit i think one of them is metal um i know that some people run it for the metal and some people don't and um but I, I understand. You're, you're a purist. Um, I, you I don't would, care about that metal. You no, just throw them all away as no, soon as you get no, them. Oh no, not at all. Because <laughs> I understand what goes into it. Like when you see it, and there, there are definitely some metals to me that are that are very precious. That I, I've I've done a race, and there's a lot of sweat put into it, or a lot of time training, or I have a great memory from it. So I really do get it. Um, it just I, I I know I know it's one of those things that we need to have in place. Um, I think some other pieces of it are um, the expo leading up to it we've focused a lot of energy on that um and and what's going on there and and what's going to keep people around because then if you're able to keep them around you're able to sell that to your sponsors and if you can sell that to your sponsors you can get more sponsors and you have more sponsors you can do a lot more with your 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 money really um so i think having yeah go ahead i was gonna say one of the other things that we've hit on a lot um is our sustainability efforts and whether people know that or not going into year one, I think it's something that will stick with them for year two um, and so on. As far as like, we're going to be a cupless race and a, a cupless race in trail running maybe isn't a novel idea, but a running road race with um, cupless water stops is, is big. So I think it might be new to a lot of people, but I think it's going to be one of those things that sticks out or something that they tell their friends after the race. Like, yeah, I, I ran this race and, it was cupless. We, you know, we carried our cup or. Yeah, that's right, Brian. You were telling me you have some sort of cup that fits on your, your finger. Like you it wear can. it like a ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It can. And, and there's, there's a lot of other pieces to that sustainability. That's a, that's a good point. I kind of, I don't know why that was escaping me during that, during that chat, but yeah. So, um, we've, uh, really the, fir the person that kind of pushed us to this was bill over at recover brands. They were making all of our shirts. So they're hundred percent recycled shirts. And he's like, Hey, I've got some other partners in this game of trying to get us into sustainability. You should reach out to Hydropack, who makes these cups. They're kind of using them in trail runs. London Marathon's looking at doing it. And there's maybe like one or two others around the country that are doing it. As a first-year race, it's really easier to break that barrier compared to a 10-year race where it's like, oh, we're used to having Gatorade and we're having cups. Like, that's really hard to pick up. Um, so it's easy for us as a first-year race to say, no, this is how it's done. Like, this is what we're going to do. Um, so these cups are fully compactable. I think they weigh like eight grams or something like that. You stuff them in a pocket, a waist strap, whatever it might be. Um, and you head on to the next water stop and we fill it up there for you. It's going to slow you down. It, it'll hundred percent slow you down. This will not be a PR course, but we're going to save 40,000 cups from going to a landfill. And then another 
five to six thousand bottles gosh just on the finish line because we're giving out a, a water pouch there but then the t-shirts alone if it's eight shirts per and we're doing let's say five thousand participants that's forty thousand bottles right there not going into a landfill or getting removed from a landfill um so i i think we see the bigger picture we're we're a little truer to our um brand or our soul there than we are necessarily the financial side of it um it's it's more expensive it's a lot more expensive to become sustainable because our money is being put somewhere better for the long run. There's a huge long play here. Let's talk about the logistics too. Obviously shutting down 277 for an entire morning, even if it is a Sunday morning, is a huge, huge ask with probably uh, several different agencies and organizations involved. A lot of people having to sign off on stuff like this. Closing the roads anyway can be a pain, and uh, <laughs> the main uh, you know thoroughfare around Uptown, uh, I'm sure, is a beast unto itself. So, talk about the process for shutting down 277. Yeah, certainly. So, I mean, step one is is getting that permit in place. Um, so you have to get a permit from CDOT for any special event. If it's a parade, if it's a you're having a barbecue on your street, whatever it is, like you need to get a permit for that. This one's obviously a little different, and you had to have highway. Um, I mean, even even down to like the new toll lane with 77, like they had to be in on conversations. Um, NC Department of Transportation had to be there, fire, medic, police, everybody. So there's a there's a lot of boxes to check. A lot of people that have to check those boxes. Um, but when it comes down to the actual logistics of of really doing getting a permit is one thing. We we've kind of found out and and actually making that happen is a whole other thing. Like you need to get engineers to create a plan for you on how you're going to divert traffic and and again that's if you're shutting down commonwealth or if you're shutting down a highway this is much larger because if you're if you're shutting down commonwealth you're looking at a police officer out there or someone with a stop slow sign rotating we're talking about cars going 70 miles an hour potentially where a cop's not going to stand in front of that we're not going to risk their lives to be in front of that so you have to have uh, signs miles out that say detour ahead. You have to have cones a mile out that are that are slowly pinching you into one lane. And then we actually had to go as far um, as having large vehicles blocking the highway. So if a terrible, horrible person comes along and decides they want to go on the highway and really mess up everyone's day, uh, we'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, they can't. There is there is large trucks actually blocking. There's four major intersections that we have to deal with 77 south north 74 independence and then brookshire so all of those options to get on in a normal way are all blocked and then there's the abnormal ways if if there's again a crazy person where we'll have police at blocking what should be an exit ramp but someone wants to use as an entrance ramp you have to there's so many opportunities for someone to get on the highway and do something bad that that we had to um really come up with a pretty big plan um, and, and working with a traffic control company to do that um, has been um, eye-opening. We've <laughs> we've learned a lot. We've learned a lot of going through that engineering plan, how long it actually takes to shut something like this down. So it's one thing to say, hey, a race is at seven, block the streets down, it'll be good, all right, cool. It's like, no, like we have to block them down early enough to get our volunteers. So we have, we have a water stop on the highway. So we have to get those volunteers out there to set up the water stop. So you have to shut it down even a couple hours earlier. And then once the runners get through, you can't just reopen it. Like there's, there's a process in place to do that. So you have to make sure the streets are clean. You have to make sure someone didn't like randomly jump off the side to go pee really fast yet. And they're back on the highway out of nowhere. Like, where'd you come from, bud? So the police have to do a sweep. You have to make sure there's not like, I don't know, like 
God forbid they leave like a glass bottle out there or something like you clean it, all that good stuff. And then, um, reopen in a strategic way to make sure that traffic doesn't just come to a halt again. Um, so what we, you know, originally thought it's like, all right, we're race starts at seven. We'll close it down till eight 30 or so. Now it's like, oh man, all right, we got to shut it down at this time and it won't be reopened until noon or so on Sunday. Would you still have done this race if you couldn't have done it on 277? No, no. I mean, that's the, that, would you agree, Chelsea? Yeah, 100%. Like this is, this is the idea. This is what around the crown is. Yeah. And, and I think if we had, we had, um, not gotten the permit, uh, a year ago, I mean, we, we might've been in the studio for something else. Some, some cool new little grocery shop or whatever. Like, I don't know. Like it, we, we would We'd still, be talking about your new podcast. Yeah. 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 Um, whatever it might be, yeah, definitely a new podcast. Um, yeah. let, me, let me ask you about this. Let's, let's, I want to know a little bit about safety <laughs> and, and some of the logistics that get involved there too, because that's one of those things that people tend not to think about, but is there's a lot incredibly crucial and you obviously can't organize your event without it. So what are some safety concerns that you have uh, and how are you addressing them? Yeah, that's a great question. This is definitely something that we haven't hit on and something that I would love for the public to know because there is a lot of background pieces that hopefully you'll never see. You'll, you'll never see, but we know this first year and we've talked with the police and, and department of transportation quite a bit about like this first year, we really have a microscope on us. Everyone is watching the, I mean, I would assume all of the government entities that you can think of, but then also like, you've got to think, you've got to think bigger picture. Like is, is, uh, um, yeah, I don't know, Panthers looking at this and making sure they're cool with, with what's going on because this is their city or like whatever else it might be. I mean, that's, that's probably a little too big right now, but anyway, we, um, it's one of the safety concerns is, uh, we're running in the summer on a highway that has no shade, absolutely no shade with asphalt, just melting you from the bottom up. Um, so how are we going to keep these people hydrated? How are we going to keep them safe? It's um, it's in the middle or the start of hurricane season. What's going to happen if there's there's bad weather, inclement weather? Um, so to have a lot of that in place um, already is really know, reassuring is maybe the right word. So at um, on 277, we have a lane completely closed off for medic. So we are taking up all of inner. All of inner will be shut down. All of outer will be open to traffic, but on inner the outermost lane is completely coned uh with uh, like 3000 cones that um a ambulance at any time can drive on um or a bicycle or a golf cart or a four-wheeler whatever needs to get to you if you've just sprained an ankle or god forbid something worse happens um we have had that and we've got that set up thanks to thanks to medic um so we have two locations on 277 that have multiple ambulances at them um that uh, one at the south and Stonewall exit, and then one at like the 74 East exit. There'll be ambulances at. Um, we have a, as much as you can, have a weather contingency plan in place, um, with knowing if if there's lightning strike and we can only hold off for this long. We've had to have that kind of stuff in place on our website. Um, gosh, what am I missing, Chelsea? What are other like safety concerns? I was gonna say I think you kind of hit on it too with just the the vehicles that are, will be put in place at all of the exits. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that was a massive undertaking to get that traffic control company mm -hmm. to, to work with us. And you, and you, not every traffic control company can do that. When you're seeing people set up cones, those are all different contractors from all over the place. Like there's only a few that can handle the, the size of this, um, 
undertaking. So that was definitely a piece of it. I'd say another kind of like small piece and, 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 uh, kind of a fun thing is like, we put a training plan in place, um, thanks to ortho Carolina. So like they did that for us, which, um, helped us kind of reiterate that we do have a pace maximum, um, because we have to clear the highway by a certain point. So every, every race typically has this, ours is different in that. Like we can't push you to a sidewalk because you're on a highway. So we actually have to have buses follow, um, the runners. So we have about five to 10 buses that we following. If you get hurt, if you're not able to sustain the pace, um, if you get dehydrated, whatever it is, like they, we won't make you walk back down the highway to get to the start finish line. That is, incredibly difficult to get to when you're on a highway. So we have to have buses in place for that, but to have a training plan in place to say like, Hey, we have a pace max, but we're going to help you get down to that pace. Here's a 10 week plan for you. If it's couch at 10 K or if it's a little more advanced, having that there, I think was a precautionary. Let's go ahead and assume that this race in September goes off. Great. There's no incidents. Everybody has a good time. People remember it. What comes next? Chelsea, you want to start there? You want me to start? Um, year two, year three, year four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like we said, we we hope that it's something that Charlotte can hang its hat on, that they're excited for next year. And we, honestly, we hope that it's some something that they miss year one and they're upset about it and they can't wait for year two or people tell their, their friends, um, you won't believe what I just did. Like I ran on 277. Um, and we hope that it just continues to grow year after year and that it does become an iconic race for Charlotte. More so an iconic event, I'd say. I, mm -hmm. I think beyond the race, I think there's other components that are coming into this that may come to fruition in years to come that make it more of a, an event. And then that could be partnering with other events in town or adding things to ours or having other partners join in to do some larger things. I think that's definitely it. We, we had, um, we had like, I think it was like six goals when we put our marketing plan together and it's crazy to see that some of these things might actually come true. But, um, I think one of them in my head was like X, you know, million dollars of economic impact. Like that's, you don't need to put an actual number on it, but it's fun to think that we're bringing dollars into Charlotte to then help local businesses and, and, and the city itself grow. So that's, that's pretty fun to like, I, I can't say I can put a number on what that goal is in years to come. Um, but that's, that's definitely a goal is to, to bring some dollars here into Charlotte. Uh, I think that's really exciting. I was gonna say the other, the other goal and really one of the reasons why we started the race again is just to make Charlotte a more active city. So if, if in year one, we have 5,000 runners, if year two, we have 6,000, I mean, you you would have to assume that maybe that's, a thousand more runners active in the city. Um, and that just has a snowball effect. All right. Last question. I'm going to get you all out of here on this one. Are either y'all racing in around the crown? I wish. Yeah, that's, that is the one thing that just, we can't, we can't do. And it, it is stirring me up inside that Brian has talked about this race for four years. This is his, brainchild and i just i don't think it's possible it's not it's not possible i mean going back to the yeah. safety we have a command center set up on first and mint where the key people of all of these government acronyms that we're talking about are in one room with walkie talkies making sure barriers are shut down runners aren't falling off water stations are set up properly like there's there's just so many logistics to this thing that 
un- unfortunately and fortunately it's it's it is my brainchild so it's all in my head and and we yeah we have it written <laughs> down and we have some people out there but if there were a question i'm probably the best one to answer it and i can't be out and it breaks um, breaks my heart <laughs> we have to have someone out there with a video camera so we can virtually run it brian chelsea mister organizers founders head honchos of around the crown 10k <laughs> thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us andy thank you thank you Hey, it's Matt Olin again. And you know, we're always so honored when folks come up and say that they're inspired by the work we're doing through Charlotte's Creative, through The Biscuit and and some of our other programs. But you know, the truth is we are so inspired by the people around us here in Charlotte. So many Charlotteans doing creative work and inspiring us. And one of the most inspirational folks that we've ever met is Nikki Eason. You know, and she drops these mogul moments at Creative Mornings. She sort of, she leaves the crowd in awe. And so it's pretty exciting to have her come on the Biscuit Podcast and treat us to some mogul moments right here. So let's hear a mogul moment from Nikki Eason. You are always one decision away from a totally different life. You are always one decision away from a totally different life. I need you to understand what's going on in your life right now because what is going on is the decisions that you made. Are you actually happy with your life right now or are you feeling bad because you can't get mad at nobody else because you made that decision. You are always one decision away from a totally different life. If you want something different, then you got to make the decision to be different. Sometimes things have to happen to you so you can learn from it and maybe you can make another decision. The problem is you don't want to make that decision because you caught up in your own ways. I need you to understand it and understand to get the different thing. You got to do things different. You got to see things different. You got to pick different people. You got to do everything different. Change or change will change you. You have to realize that your life is on purpose, but you can't get to the purpose because you're still caught up in your old decisions. Old ways won't open new doors. Understand that your life is your life and you get to decide what you want to do with it. Those decisions that you're making, maybe they're not helping you. Maybe your attitude is not right. Maybe you need to change your attitude. If you can do something about it, change it. If you can't change your attitude about it, you got to realize that your attitude determines your direction. It determines your direction and your reflection of what's going on in your life right now. You are always one decision away from a totally different life. What decision did you make up? What decision did you make up when you wake up today? What decision was it for you to pray? Did you decide to sit there and just lay? Did you decide to sit there and do something today? That's how you're going to change your life. That's how it's going to be different from you. Maybe you need to change the decision of loving you. Quit trying to actually act like you're the one to do it when you know, and I know that you're not doing what it is that it needs to be done to get to your dreams. You are always one decision away from a totally different life. The life won't come to you because you're still sitting there thinking about how it could, still sitting there wishing. I need you to stop wishing and start doing. You need to realize that your decisions determines your actions. Your attitude determines your direction. What is it that you're feeling right now? Do you believe that you can't do it? If you believe you can't do it, then you won't be able to do it because you're deciding that you're not worthy of it. You're deciding that you don't deserve it. You got to actually make the decision that you do start believing in you because it's actually for you, what's for you, is for you. And I need you to decide that it's for you and get about your business. You are always one decision away from a totally different life. Love. there biscuit podcast listeners this is matt olin and uh you know we're gonna spend a few minutes talking to someone who may be a familiar face to those of you who attend some of our events creative mornings 
and the like, Porter Metzler. Hello there, Porter. Hi, Porter Metzler here. Happy to <laughs> happy to finally be on the podcast. I've only seen y'all record about a dozen of them, <laughs> sitting awkwardly in the corner of the room, <laughs> <laughs> being being as quiet as a church mouse, which is not your normal state. No. So it's actually quite a stretch for you to like have to be quiet while we're recording in the same multi-purpose office, right? It is an office, it is a recording studio, it is a storage facility, and somehow we make it work, and somehow you make it work. A screening room with all of our chairs and TV, <laughs> a mural. It is. Work of art. We've everything. done, it's it's everything. It's everything. So we'll have to have you all over, all of, all of you, all of the listeners over to the Charlotte's Creative Office at some point to see exactly what we're talking about. But that's not why we're here. We're here to talk to you, Porter. Porter, you have been helping us out for at least a year now, right? You started out as a volunteer at Creative Mornings Charlotte, and then you kind of morphed into an intern for us, which was incredible. And now you're you're on our staff in the form of sort of a social media guru god type. So t- talk to us a little bit about... Um, about that, and then we're. I want to then f- go back even earlier than that and talk about your years growing up in Charlotte. But but how did you find your way to Creative Mornings, Charlotte? So I first attended Creative Mornings um, after I got back from college. I was just looking for something to do. wasn't full time employed yet. had had Friday mornings free, and my mom actually sponsors one of the Hug Grants. Yes, she does. She is uh, Tanya Reed of T Reed and Company. Boom. So she always had a plus one and just wanted me to come with her. And I always enjoyed going. I think I went maybe five times before I found Tim's email and emailed him about volunteering. And then that was last, I think that was last June. And then I just kept showing up. And then one day, I guess I just didn't go away. Yeah. And I've been here ever since. So. I, I can totally relate to this. This is how my career started. I started interning at uh, a Broadway producing company uh, and just kept showing up and showing up and showing up. And eventually they were like, you know, I guess we need to put this guy on the payroll. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Just for anyone out there looking for a job, just go wherever you want to work and just show up every day. And <laughs> maybe they'll start paying you or maybe they'll give you a Nice little restraining order. Yeah. You can go either way. It's either that. Flip a coin. You're either going to get a, a paycheck or a restraining order. Yeah, you'll get a piece of paper either way. Either way, you're walking out of there with a piece of paper. Um, well, we're so grateful to your mom for her enduring support of the HUG program. And, and, and so grateful to you for just joining the team. I mean, you've been a rock star team member for, like I said, well over a year now. And uh, I hope that never changes. So... Um, all right, so let's go. Let's get back in, in, in the Wayback Machine now. Let's go back to the beginnings of the Porter Metzler origin story. You are a unicorn. Yes, you were born in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. Yep. All right. And where'd you go to school? So I was born at Presbyterian Hospital. Okay. We are going back to the very I'm going beginning. all the way back. You said go all the way back. <laughs> I did say that. You're so right. I went, went to Presbyterian High School. Then I went to Charlotte Montessori School over on East Boulevard. Made my way to Eastover Elementary. Then found my way at good old AGMS, Alexander Graham Middle School. Then I ended up at Myers Park. And like half of the people that go to Myers Park found my way to UNC Chapel Hill and then made my way back here. There it is. 
Well, so what sort of, we'll talk about your sort of re-entry to Charlotte in a minute, but tell me a little bit about the creative things that you did growing up in Charlotte. What, what comes to you um, when I ask a question like that? So probably the biggest creative thing I did growing up um, was I've always liked sports, never been good at sports, <laughs> but I always really enjoyed the team aspect. Yeah. So when I got to high school, when that really, when that divide happens between wanting to play and having skill breaks off, like in middle school, anybody can play anything. In high sure. school, you kind of have to figure out what you're going to do and what you're good at. <laughs> So team sports wasn't for me, and I wanted to find something with that team aspect to it. So I started doing Odyssey of the Mind, which is a creative competition um, for elementary schoolers, middle schoolers, high schoolers. Uh, some college students do it, but basically it is a, just a creativity competition. You're presented with a problem, and you have to solve that problem with an eight-minute skit and just do it in the silliest, funniest, creative way possible. A big part of it is improv. So actually when you go to the competitions, you are taken into a separate room where you don't have any time to prepare for anything. And you and your team just have to come up with an answer to whatever they present to you on the spot and more creativity, more points. So, so and, and are, is, are you asked to solve a problem or hack some sort of issue each time uh, in the skit? Yeah, so there are five different problems presented and your team presents, you, your team selects one of them. So you will compete. So I competed for question two, problem two. And I think one year the problem was you had to move something from one side of the stage to the other without touching it. Mm -hmm. So we made this almost conveyor belt like thing that slowly started working while we were doing the skit. Like our skit was building it and putting it together, but you have to do it in a fun, silly way. So I was dressed like Big Bird, acting out like I was solving some mystery. Big Bird happened to be a detective. And I know this makes <laughs> this this doesn't make any sense to people listening. So I would just recommend Googling Odyssey of the Mind. Um, or they do a lot of competitions at Winget. If you can make your way up there and see one of the competitions, it is a great time. You'll see all kinds of characters and faces you know and love and forgot even existed, but they'll be there together solving problems. So clearly you had this creative self that was starting to make its way out of you at even at an early age through Odyssey of the Mind and things yep. like that. Creativity is in your blood too. I mean, not only is your your mom, a, a creative person and, and a creative entrepreneur here in Charlotte, T. Reed and Company, shout out, but also your grandmother, right? Yeah, my um, so my grandmother, B.G. Metzler, if anyone out there knows of her, you're, you're talking to the grandson of a legend. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so she was actually the first female weather person yeah. in Charlotte. Uh, back in the 80s and was one of the first females working on television in general. I think there was a few news anchors at the time. Yeah. Um, and then after that, she made her way to working for Discovery Place. And I can't remember her official role, but she played a big part in bringing the IMAX theater 
to Discovery Place. So yeah, I was very lucky when I was little. She was still working there, so I got to go for free all the time and have my. That little, is a that is awesome, Benny. Mm-hmm. I have my little. Uh, I have a four month old handprint. Oh, the handprints that are in the lobby. Yeah, in the lobby. So. I have, find me. I have seen, I'm going to go search you, <laughs> search for your little handprint mm-hmm. next time I'm there with, with my daughter. Wow. So she's kind of the birth mother of, of Charlotte's IMAX yep. theater. That's incredible. And as I understand, tons of other creative firsts and creative endeavors that she has under, she's done everything. I mean, I could, I could be here all day listing it. Yeah. I probably don't even know the extent to everything she's done, but it sounds like she got going right as soon as she came to Charlotte and just never really stopped. And and I would I dare say one of her most triumphant things ever was helping Tim Miner get his first job in Charlotte. Yep. At the time she worked for Center City Partners and a little fresh faced Tim Miner approached her and they got to talking and she just helped him find his way into working for the city that he loves so much, which I think is pretty cool. It's kinda of come full circle that she helped him and now he's helping me. So Porter, you're on the Charlotte is creative team. Now we are living every day. The mantra that Charlotte is creative. When you went to Chapel Hill in 2013, mm-hmm. came back in 2017, yep. how had things changed for you? Was Charlotte more creative uh, and, or other changes that you saw? What, what were your impressions when you came back to Charlotte as a, as a resident? So I am in the wheelhouse of believing that Charlotte has always been creative. I think if I didn't believe that, I probably wouldn't be working here. Yeah. But you probably wouldn't have come back. I probably wouldn't have come back. But coming back just for breaks and holidays and all that, it was really cool to see Charlotte slowly come more and more out of its shell. I don't know if it's when I went to college, a lot of people started moving to Charlotte, but it, it really feels like those four years I was gone, I was getting little glimpses of creativity popping out when I would come back to visit. But now that I'm back, it's it really feels like a whole different city and it's more vibrant and it's like that creativity that's always been here is really starting to come out and show itself. And I think before people might've been trying to hide it a little bit, like, oh, I work for the bank, I need to, I need to act this way. And I think people are becoming more comfortable with like, yeah, I work at the bank, but I also paint murals or I produce rap albums or X, Y, and Z. And I think a lot of people are just really embracing everything our city has to offer now. Yeah. I mean, to your point, just like you said, creativity has always been here, always been alive and part of Charlotte, but it hasn't been as much a part of the Charlotte narrative, the Charlotte story. And so I think maybe that's one of the things that's been changing over the last few years too. And it's certainly something that we as an organization are passionate about, which is changing that narrative that Charlotte truly is, is creative, making it a part of the Charlotte story. And then as a result, all the creativity that's been here just becomes brighter. Uh, we hear more about it. We see more of it. And it hopefully then inspires other people to become creative as well. And then it just starts to snowball Mm -hmm. from there. So, um, all right. So here's how we're going to end. Five quick hits, okay? This is going to be the the Porter Metzler CLT hit list. Here we go. Your favorite coffee shop. Favorite coffee shop is starting this this quick list off really quick. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's uh, somebody to choose from. 
Um, it's not really coffee shop, but I love Rhino Deli and Market. Boom. Just I'll because, take it. I mean, they have everything. Yeah, it's like your neighborhood bodega. All right, favorite Charlotte meal? Favorite Charlotte meal is probably the Buddha Bowl at Fuda Buddha. Really spicy. You like you Just like you good, like the nudes. You know? I like the nudes. You might might get some booch on the side. You could wash down some nudes. Nudes and booch. We had to throw that in there. <laughs> that's that's for you, Tim. No one listening to this will understand, but you're, Tim will get it. You're gonna you're, you're gonna you're gonna wash down some nudes with some booch. Yeah, you nudes. are a true token millennial. You yep. are our token millennial. Yep. <laughs> uh, all right. Favorite place to get work done. Um, my favorite place to get work done, if I'm not in the office, is probably Morrison Library. Yeah. It's, I mean, I've been going there since high school just to get away and just have a nice, calm place to work and read. And This is disorienting, though, now that it's completely different um, on the inside? So, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I went for the first time again last year since high school, and I went to the upstairs of it, and I kind of got this vertigo, head-turning feeling because the entire upstairs looked different, and I felt like I was facing the wrong direction and it took me a second to realize where I was. It just felt like a really different space, but it's super cool now. They've got so much to offer and I don't know, if you're not going to your local library, you need to go because they have literally anything you could ever want. Yes, they totally do. All they got to do is ser serve up some nudes and booch yeah. and be like, you never have to leave. Nudes and booch, they've got, um, Morrison has that outside patio now. Yeah. So you can take your own nudes and booch and just totally <laughs> take a little lunch break out there. <laughs> okay. Where's your favorite place to chill out in Charlotte? Just to just unplug. Um, I really like going to Sleepy Poet. If you haven't been there, it's this little Dude, antique yes. mall over on South Boulevard. You can just, you can wander those aisles forever and see all kinds of things. And I am so sort of surprised that you said that because that is one of the places where I escape as well. And I am just surprised that we haven't run into each other there. Cause I will just, I'm not looking for anything. I will just walk around yeah, and, I, and, and waste time because I find my, it clears my brain out. Yeah, it's, it's a really cool place. If you haven't been, you need to go. It, I think a common thing of where I like to go is places that have everything. <laughs> so Rhino has everything. The Fuda library Buddha has everything ramen related. The library has everything media related and sleepy poet just has everything you're you're a one-stop shop kind yeah, of a guy I, I don't have much time i gotta gotta <laughs> pick the one place i'm going to and just get what i can there okay and finally what is the first sharp concert you ever saw in charlotte first music act or concert um so the first concert i ever saw in charlotte was actually the police you have got to be yeah me. it was the police um i was walking i was in middle school and I was walking around South Park with my dad and my dad's phone rings and he hands the cell phone to me and my mom says, I've got this great surprise for you. We're going to see the police tonight. And I went, who? <laughs> <laughs> but me a little sad. we went and it was, it was awesome. I, I mean, I wouldn't change it. No. Where'd you, where was it? Where, where? It was at Spectrum Center, then Time Warner Cable. Yeah. Wow. And then um, I think the next concert I saw was Van Halen. Man. So these, I'm, these I'm 80s icons. Next, I'm going to, I saw Stevie Wonder. The next concert I'm going to is Elton John. Wow. You, so it's almost I'm, like you're, you're born in the wrong era or something. Born in the wrong era. I just, 
seeing all these superstars sell out Spectrum Arena like it's meant to be. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Porter Metzler, thanks for sitting down and sharing a little bit about your life with us. And thanks for everything you do for Charlotte's Creative and for Charlotte. Thank you, Matt, for everything you do. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks again to Brian and Chelsea, Mr. Nikki Eason and Porter Metzler for speaking with us. And thank you, the listener, for tuning in to The Biscuit Podcast. That's all the time we have for today's episode of The Biscuit. Remember to subscribe to The Biscuit Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating or review so that other creative Charlotteans can hear about us, or better yet, just tell them yourself. Finally, get the scoop on Charlotte's creative scene delivered straight to your inbox every week by subscribing to the Biscuit email newsletter. Do that now at BiscuitCLT.com. The Biscuit Podcast is produced by Tim Miner, Matt Olin, and Andy Goh. Music by Harvey Cummings. Harvey Cummings.